we have um, been chatting here for a while in Dwelling Place. We've been on a series. I was calling it a mini-series. I decided that that's silly, so I'll stop saying that. Um, but it really has become a bit of a series on valuing the voice of God. I think the reason I was calling it a mini-series is it's not this series that is necessary sequential, but it is that God gave us at the beginning of this year, especially coming out. January was kind of a month when we were just focusing on words that had to do with what was forward. But then as we segued into February, really started to hear as a teaching team that God wanted us to emphasize how important it was for us to value his voice. In fact, I say this consistently, but his voice, that's what we came here today to hear. H-E-R-E to H-E-A-R, right? We came to practice hearing his voice today as a family. We want to we consistently learn how to hear him, just to hear what God's saying. And we don't feel like that that has to be some some huge spiritual thing that only the spiritually elite get to do. First of all, we don't believe there are the spiritually elite. (laughs) You know, we're all just a bunch of sheep, right? That's who we are, and he's the shepherd. That's how that works. And, And we believe that. We espouse that as truth from God's word. But we also believe this, that on another level, we're all spiritually elite. That is to say we're sons and daughters, and it doesn't get any better than that. That's that's the destiny that we all share, and that we were meant and made to hear our Father. In fact, as sheep, we know this, that he said that his sheep would know his voice. We can hear him. And that doesn't, again, have to be something that we put on television. That's what makes life, as I said earlier, livable. That's how we take the next step. That's how we breathe in and breathe out in the kingdom is by hearing him. There was a song years ago that said, this is the air I breathe just to know God. I don't think we need to super spiritualize that. And yet I don't think on any level we should take that for granted. Because it is more beautiful than what we had thought. And it is meant for every man and woman to hear hear him. We've been talking about valuing his voice. We're, we're certain that this is so, that the most significant key to hearing God is wanting to hear God. If anyone wills to know my will. He said in a different context, he will know the doctrine, but certainly that principle applies here. That it is, we used to say this, that in, in student ministry, that if you really want to be in God's will, you are. Because primarily what God wants is that the motivation of your heart would be him. That's what he wants more than anything. He wants you to choose him. And when you do, God's big enough. Come on, somebody. His hands are big enough. But to value his voice. None of us like to talk when no one wants to listen. All of us want to choose to speak. If you're an instructor, we have several professors and instructors in the house. We have school teachers in the house. And you know that when the students aren't listening, (laughs) you don't want to keep talking. And I know you know that if you're a parent. But you know that too if you're in a relationship with just a friend or someone. You just, if, if if you're going to take the time to speak, you'd like for someone to care enough to listen. And then that created for us sort of a segue, at least for me in the last couple of weeks, to what I consider to be, again, another of the most significant. I don't think there's just one. There may be several, but they all probably come back to the same. And that's this, that one way then that we value his voice is by responding to it. That is to say that when God gives a word of instruction or direction, that we value that enough to act on it. So last week we talked about um, 
obedience. In fact, we talked about an uncompromising obedience. And we looked at 1 Samuel chapter 15 and the life of Saul and his relationship with Samuel as they heard God and the disobedience specifically of Saul. But I wanted to take a quick five just to to recap, and then I want to take a quick ten, if I can do that, for us to just consider a biblical definition and application of the word found in the Scripture for obedience, because I didn't do that last week. So let's step back just for a second, and I promise to do a bit of preaching, but I want to do a bit of teaching first this morning just on this word obedience. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shama is what we translate into the English word obedience, and that word literally means to hear and listen. And obey. It's like the, it's it's a phrase. It literally the word shama takes in in English. If you want to best translate it, which is often the case, Hebrew is is a magnificent language. And in order to translate this word shama, you almost need need a phrase. But it's to hear, listen, and obey. And that's the word that was used in Exodus nineteen five. If you obey my voice, that was the word shama, and keep my covenant, you shall be my possession. Exodus twenty four seven. All that the Lord has spoken. We will do, we will be obedient, Shama. We will listen and obey. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. if you listen obediently to my commandments, same word, for Samuel fifteen twenty two. the word we talked about last week when Samuel gave Saul that correction and said to obey, Shama, is better than sacrifice. And in the Greek, the word is actually hupakuo, which means essentially the same thing, but has a little bit of an authoritative connotation added to it. And it means to listen under, to obey. I think that's just incredible. And the opposite of that word is the word parakuo, which means to listen around. And that's, that's fascinating there. So one is to listen under authority. The other is to listen around. Come on, sometimes that's what we do, parakuo. We're like, I mostly heard you. You know, we're kind of listening around. We're almost obeying. And as I said to you last week, and again, apologies if you weren't here, but don't worry, I'm bringing you up to speed. But I had spoken of our son Jacob, who's an incredible kid and is an unbelievably obedient 21-year-old at this point. I don't know how obedient 21-year-olds are. I mean, we give him lots of space to make decisions for sure. But just as a great heart. But when he was in middle school, he had such a, an ability to forget what had been said. And I said, son, your heart is good, but you, he listened around a lot. He almost got it, you know, and it was like, what would you say? And we do that, too, for a litany of reasons. We'll consider some of those today. But these two words, hupakuo and paraku, are used in Romans 5.19, which is a bedrock foundational theological perspective for us in the church. For as through the one man's disobedience, parakuo, Adam listened around, <laughs> the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience, hupakuo, of the one, Jesus listened directly under the authority of the Father. What did he say? I only do what I hear the Father saying. That's what I do. Jesus listened directly to his Father. And through his obedience, that kind of obedience, many were made righteous. That Greek term literally conveys the idea of positioning oneself under someone by submitting to their authority and command. So it's easy sometimes to say we're under someone's authority until they give a command. <laughs> then we find out if we're really under their authority. Like when they give some instruction, we find out if we're under their authority or not. We can say, well, they're my covering. You know, they speak into my life. But in this sense, certainly when it, and when it relates to God, it's so critically true. Some of the Greek words that are translated that way in the Scripture, I just list them for you. Romans 1.5, Romans 16.26, Hebrews 5.9. You can look at those. 
First Peter 1, 2, that you may obey Jesus Christ. That's that word, hupakuo. First Peter 1, 14 is obedient children, or First Peter 1, 22. And then, just to complete this thought, the, the word literally obedience then is, it comes from an old, this is fascinating, so I hope I can, I know this isn't necessarily the most captivating, but I hope I can hold your attention for a second because this is fascinating to me. The old English word that is the root word from which we get this word obedience is the word herknen, H-E-R-K-N-E-N, which is the same word from which we get the word hearken. Yeah, you're an intuitive group. You can figure this out. We get the word hearken, which this word hearken means literally to both hear and obey. So it's fascinating to me when we say obedience, what we really mean is that we value his voice. To say we're obedient means that we do what he we hear. There's a hearing element to this word obedient in the Bible. The word obedient means that we had heard. The general concept in the Old and New Testament is to hearing or hearkening to a higher authority. And that hearkening doesn't mean we just listen. We just said, okay, what do you have to say? Now let me decide if I do that or not. But rather it is that we listened and we acted Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary offers a succinct definition of this word, obedience. And it is to hear God's word and act accordingly. Isn't that beautiful? Now, how many of you believe we're called to obedience? As believers, isn't that what we signed up for? <laughs> isn't that the grace we've been given is a better way to say that? I mean, isn't, that, isn't there grace for that? Eardman's Bible Dictionary also says so. True hearing or obedience involves the physical hearing that inspires the hearer and the belief or trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with the speaker's desires. Again, one last time, to value his voice. Luke eleven twenty eight. But he said, Jesus, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now that was when a lady screamed out to Jesus. He, he was prophesying he was working he was delivering he had fed five thousand people and this lady yells out blessed is the woman who bore you basically and he said blessed rather are those who hear i don't think he was dissing on mary all right mother's day is coming up i'm sure jesus was very thankful for his mom but he said blessed rather even are those who hear the word of god and keep it so biblical obedience simply to recap means to hear trust submit and surrender to god and obey his word that's, that's what it means when we talk about obedience. In Jesus Christ, we found the perfect model of said obedience. He was the perfect model as his disciples. Then we also follow Christ's example. Are you with me? We follow his example toward obedience. And our motivation for obedience, I think, is important also to point out his love. John, I quoted this last week, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a statement of fact. It is, if you're in water, you will be wet. And if you are living in the love of God, it's not a proof text. It's not how you, you don't prove it. It's not that. It, he's just saying, if you love me, here's what, will, here's what will happen when you do that. When you love me, if you love me, if you're living in my love and in love with me, you'll hear me and you'll act under authority on what I have said to you. It's important. It's important to get this concept. And I think I almost disclaimed the authority of the word last week because I was so concerned you might miss grace versus law here. I'm not going to do that today. 
While the Bible places strong emphasis on obedience, it's important to remember that believers are not justified or made righteous by obedience. That was the point I guess I wanted to make last week and make sure we didn't miss. Salvation is a free gift from God, and there's nothing we can do to earn it. I know there couldn't be a more obvious thing to say in this church than that. But I'm going to say it so I can be done with it, so no one has any danger of being uh, misled here. Obedience flows from a heart of gratitude for the grace we have received from the Lord and is motivated by, this is amazing to me, His love for us and is exemplified in our love for Him. That's strong. Obedience is motivated by His love for us and it is exemplified in our love expressed back to Him. That's the most obedient thing we can do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12.1 And so, dear brothers and sisters, you could quote the scripture. I'll read it to you today from a different translation than normal. I plead with you, the New Living Translation, to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Granted, it's a process. I think about what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. He said, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. It's a process. We walk in this process of learning to be obedient. And we've got promises to stand on. We can, we can walk that out in grace. We're meant to respect God and His voice and grow in holiness. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then... My beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. That's so powerful. That's the stuff. That's the stuff, Sean, right there. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's no, there's no place to mistake where the grace to be obedient comes from. It comes from God himself working that's awesome in us. Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful then to observe my ordinance. So here's a, here's a take home point, and I'm going to segue to a few things I want to say to you here in just a bit of time we have left. But here's a take home point: to be obedient or hearken to the higher authority is a choice. It is a choice. Just in case you were wondering, it's still a choice. But we have the grace to choose it. That's what all these words that I just shared with you said. Obedience is a choice, but we have the key works in us. We have the grace to choose it. Second Corinthians ten five. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey. There's that word again. Same word. To obey Christ. Paul said, he essentially said in that scripture, there is... Grace to choose obedience, diligence, put diligence with faith. So what are a few thoughts or tendencies that need to be taken captive? Those are the points I want to make today. I want to, I want to take us down a little trail here. I'm done with my quick 10-minute um, explanation of uh, the word obedience in the biblical context. But there are some tendencies or thoughts. Paul said we can take those thoughts captive that we need to take captive if we want to be obedient because there's some stuff that's obviously... Um, Standing between us and destiny sometimes as it relates to the best plan that God has for us. Luke nine twenty three through 25, and he was saying to them all, he being Jesus, if anyone wishes to come after me, 
right? Y'all know this one. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I was uh, listening this morning to a song before I came in. I think it's from about 2006 or 2007 by Mercy Me. Do you remember the song, So Long Self? (laughs) So Long Self, Goodbye, Oh Well. (laughs) Well, this morning I just pray that we could say so long. I found somebody else, the song says. I found somebody else who deserves, right, obedience. So what about self then tends to keep us from obedient hearing? And I'm going to make a quick list of five. Number five, and I'm going to count down from the five to the one, okay? So number five on this top five, if you will, list of things about ourselves that keep us from obedient hearing, which is redundant based on the definition I just gave you, but I'm going to say it that way anyway. Obedient hearing, there's no other form of obedience or hearing. Number five is a self-assessment. We have this tendency to self-assess, especially as it relates to history, and that's specifically what I'm speaking about here. But we have, we have this tendency to decide, right, about our past and let that assessment determine our... God's speaking things to us about right now and about what's forward for us. He's got designs and destinies. He's got plans, right? For us and promises that are made to come true, but we will self-assess our, our past, and in that, we will trump the voice of God about our future. We do do that. We'll say things like this, they can't po- that can't possibly a dream be a dream God dreams for me. Have you seen the mess I've made so far? Now, you say, no one says that. Oh, yes, they do. I drink a lot of coffee with people. Don't try to tell me that that's not a... Maybe it's not that clean and clear, but that's what people say consistently. We say that. We'll decide. No, I mean, my history says I've tried to do, or I I was thinking before, and these are my preset boundaries and limitations. I couldn't... God can't speak that to me. Or, Or at this point in my life, are you kidding me? And it doesn't matter. It just cracks me up. doesn't matter how old you are. You'd be 20 and you'll act like you've lived forever. I already made all... You're 20! But then someone's 60 or 70. And it's just as ridiculous for them too. Against a God who has lived before and will always live after the boundaries of time. And we're going to tell Him... Good and bad are both behind you. That's the beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. The beautiful. That's the beautiful thing about your past. It is. And thanks for pointing out the obvious today. I'll just stop and pray. It's so obvious. God, help us. Help us to live and look forward. God, I pray that our past couldn't be an anchor that holds us from our future. But God, that as we sing. As we sang earlier, God, that it is in you that we live and move, God, that we would, Lord, as Ezekiel wrote in Ezekiel 47, we would step into the river of who you are, God, and we would live life forward. Church, I'll point you to what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not, anybody want to quote it for me? Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, 
but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Or for the, I like the wording in this particular translation that you have on the screen. That I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. About a year and a half ago, I preached a word here called one thing. I mean, Paul broke it down. Just one thing. I mean, if we just did that, if we could do that one thing, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. My, I have a pastor friend in Cape Town, uh, Jeff. He's actually spoken here in Dwelling Place. And they have, they have the classic dog set up in South Africa. Commonly in South Africa, you got two dogs. Most, most people who live uh, in this area of Cape Town, especially where we walk and work, and then there's a, the same is true actually for a pastor friend we have in KwaZulu-Natal, and they have, they have a big dog, like a big intimidating dog, like the kind of dog that barks like this. Woof. That, that kind of dog. Woof. And they always say they don't bite. That doesn't ever comfort me at all. I had a lady tell me that once. I was staying at someone's house I didn't know in Cape Town. I didn't want to stay there. She was incredibly, uh, how to say, um, choleric about it. Okay, She insisted that I stay with her, and Jeff didn't protect me, so I'm still upset with him a little bit about that. But I stayed at her house, and they have one of those dogs that all their skin's trying to fall off their face. Like a Sharpe, is that what they, I think that's what that's called. And he, the whole time, like from the time I walked in the house, he was... So I'm like, uh, she's like, oh, he don't bite anyone. He's never bitten anyone. I start walking down the hallway, and he's following me. And I was like, are you sure this dog? No, he doesn't bite. I get about halfway down the hall, and the dog just lunges for my elbow. Just latches onto my elbow, and is just, just chewing on my elbow. I had a relatively thick jacket on, and I literally walked back in where she was. I said, is this normal? She completely freaked. No! She starts, you know, beating the dog off me. It doesn't comfort me at all when someone says their dog doesn't bite. That never comforts me. They have these big dogs, though. Jeff and, and Dennis both have actually quite genteel dogs, but they seem very intimidating. But they also always have a tattletale dog. That's what I call it. They got one of those little yappy lap dogs. The kind that hears stuff from three blocks away. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of dog. And they're just like, so the big dog is over there, I mean, just sleeping like crazy and the burglar to walk in and do whatever he wants. But the yappy dog is like, he's telling. And the big dog is, whoa, comes to eat you then. I mean, the big dog is like the eater and the little dog's the alarm. Jeff has a dog, though, named Elmo. And Elmo is one of the most focused um, creatures that the good Lord has ever created. Uh, he is just, he is diligent, and his whole life is about fetching. That's what his life is about, man. He, and I'm a sap. Like, I'm the, I'm the easy mark when I come to Jeff's house, and he just brings me a tennis ball, and he just looks at me. And they're like, I'll just ignore him. And I'm, he's unrelenting. I mean, from the moment you walk in the house, he gets that ball, and he rolls it over to you, and this is what he does the whole time. Like he will look at you, and he'll look at the ball. Just one thing. I mean, Jeff literally, he has one of those things where you throw the ball. And I've seen him in, in False Bay in Cape Town. 
I mean, from this beach, you can see Seal Island, where National Geographic goes to video the great white, the largest concentration of great white sharks in the world. And Jeff will take that ball and throw it as far as he can out into the bay. I mean, one of these days, woof, no more Elmo. Like, dude, he's like, no, watch this little dog. And he don't care, man. He's, he's got to get the ball. It's just who he is. I mean, one thing. And, and every time I read this scripture, I think of Elmo Bond. Because I want to be like that about him. I want to be so focused on who Jesus is that my past has no place. It can't fit into my frame of view. My field of view. My eyes are on Jesus. I don't know what you're trying to say to me right now, devil. I only have eyes and ears for him. Paul said, one thing I do. And he had a past. A really bad one. I think that uh, stoning believers and apostles or servants of the church, getting them thrown in jail, I think that's probably not what you want on your um, oversight resume. I'm going to oversee the church. I previously imprisoned people, persecuted them, stuff like that. (laughs) Paul said, one thing I do, forgive what lies behind. Our own self-assessment of our history and our worth and worthiness to walk forward with God. So long, self. Number four on this top five list. Not only is it our assessment of our history, but it is our present assessment of self. We can say it this way, our self-image. I said there are some tendencies, right, that keep us from obedient hearing that we need to surrender. We need to take captive. We need to surrender to him. I think of self-image. I said last week I shared with you about Saul. We talked about Saul who, who at simultaneously, Saul had serious identity issues. He didn't know who he was. Just didn't know who he was. That was his biggest issue. And so then when he went into battle, he had at one point, his biggest issue was that he considered himself small. And Samuel said that to Saul. But but that caused an overcompensation, which is fascinating. See what the scripture says in 1 Samuel fifteen twelve. Again, from last week, early the next morning, Samuel went to find Saul, who had been disobedient, who had been victorious, but disobedient. And someone told him Saul went to the town of Carmel to set up a monument to himself. And it's just crazy. He was taking glory for himself. Not that we sometimes don't do that too. But look at the very next passage in verse 17. And Saul told Samuel told him when he found Saul, he said, Although you may think yourself little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? So what a contradiction. He made a, he made a monument to himself for the victory that they had won. And yet Samuel points out the greater reality is that he saw himself as... That's small. Those of us who in the kingdom who would strive for position or place or, or who would engage in comparison to determine value and worth have an identity issue. And it keeps us from obedience. We have, if, if we have a self-image issue, then we have to assess the assignment and see if it's worth us or whether we're worth it. Works both ways. God, I could never do that. How could I do that, God? I'm the example for everything that ever happened in this. I've told you before, I mean, I I came by it honest, but I, but there was grace to overcome it. But starting my senior year in high school, okay, I was four foot eleven and weighed less than a hundred pounds. I mean, I didn't just think I was small, I was small. 
I've been being told my whole life, you're going to grow one day. My mom always told me that your feet grow first. And I would be like, oh boy, this is not good. I mean, I can still, I, I was a 35-year-old man borrowing tennis shoes from my brother's teenage daughter. I mean, I never had big feet. I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. But I, didn't, I wasn't just small physically. I, in my own eyes, I was small. And, and even though on a lot of levels I kicked to that, several years ago I was speaking at a church camp, and I always used to say this. I always used to say, I'm Ron from Enola, which is true. That's where I'm from. Enola is where I went to high school. It's a place in the state called Arkansas. And this word, the name of my town, Enola, is actually the word alone spelled backwards. Remember that. It used to be my running joke. Everywhere I went, the first thing I would say is, I'm Ron from Enola. That's alone spelled backwards. That's pretty much what you are in the world if you're from Enola. You're alone. And when I was speaking at a church camp and I said that, and Isaac, our 22-year-old son, came up to me and he said, you know, it's cool and all how you say that to illustrate that you're no big shot or whatever. But he said, the problem is you really think you're Ron from Enola. And he said, you're a son on assignment from the king's house. He said, I think you think everything you get to do for God, you don't really deserve the opportunity to do. That's what you communicate to me when you say that. I was like, you're grounded. (laughs) First of all, just to be clear. When we first came to Virginia Tech, I shared with you, I mean, the first year I shared uh, last week about walking across campus one day and asking God if we would ever have success and how obedience is success. And some of you have heard that story more than once ad nauseum. But even before that, when we first came and we the day that we met Kim and Nils, you're sitting back there with the lease. But that day that we met them both in different meetings, I walked around that campus and I was trying to decide if it was God for us to move here to work with student ministry, Chi Alpha at Virginia Tech. And I was walking around. Karen wasn't with me at this point. And it's a pretty big campus to try to walk all the way around. I was walking around it and I literally said to God, God, obviously we wasted their money letting them fly us out here to consider this because we're not the right people for this job. This was before I got the rebuke from Isaac. So I'm sure I said, I'm from Enola. That's what I said. God, I mean, and, and right, we, we had been for seven years working with the student ministry that was very effective and had grown to be very strong in community and effectiveness. But I still said to God, I said, God, Louisiana Tech, I mean, that's a small campus. This is a, God, these people, this is an engineer. These people are smart. I said that. I said, God, these are smart people. I'm a redneck. I said, God, uh, you got me mixed up with somebody else. I said that. God spoke back. God said, "Uh, excuse me, but I think you got me mixed up with somebody else. He said, I can do whatever I want, with whomever I want, wherever and whenever I want. There's grace for this. You get to choose it. I think about the ten spies. Numbers 1333, not Joshua and Caleb. Everybody named their kids after them, right? 
Nobody ever named their kid the other ten spies. This would be a terrible name. What's your name? The other ten spies. The scripture says, There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, the part of Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers. And you know what the important phrase here is. You know this. You've heard it. Maybe you've taught it. In our own sight. Think about Gideon. In Judges 6, 12 and 14, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Can you imagine Gideon? He said, you talking to me? Right? You talking to me? I'm talking about being obedient, church. I'm talking about that thing God's spoken into your life. We're not just talking about Gideon today. We're not just talking about Ron today. We're talking about us. I'm talking to you about you. Because maybe you said that too. Are you talking to me? Maybe you've believed in your heart God got you mixed up with someone else. I said last week, I wonder how many of us have that statement that we've made. You know, I believed I heard God say. I I, I really felt like God was going to in me or through me. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh. And I'm the youngest in my father's house. But look at Judges 6.16. But the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. That's the key phrase, isn't it? Surely I will be with you. Can't you hear the Lord saying that with every call He gives? Don't you understand that this is true, that the God who called you is able to do what the God who called you called you to do? That's who's able. That's who's able. The enemy uses this on us all the time to keep us from obedience. I heard you, God, but, you know, sorry. After a quick assessment of self, I realized that I'm not able to do that. Really? You just came to that conclusion. (laughs) Because I knew that all along. But in your weakness, he's made... We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Number three, counting down to number one here. On our list of tendencies in relationship to self that we need to bring captive or surrender rather even to him would be self-preservation. That's a big one too. So long, self. We tend to want to protect or preserve self. I know that that's on some level, at least in our flesh, sort of a built-in mechanism, right? I mean, and we will literally believe in our hearts that we have a right to certain things. You know, we have, I mean, our Constitution says it, right? And I'm for the Constitution, by the way. But we have certain inalienable, I don't even think I can say it, rights, right? But in the kingdom, hello, we li- if we live a life that's surrendered to Him, the fact is our rights get in the way of our walk. We'll start defending our rights. We'll, God, give me the grace to teach this right. Because we'll say things like, I have a right to a good job. Or I have a right to that promotion. 
or I have a right to, you know, fill in the blank. I have a right to a house with a room where everyone can have their own room. When, when 50% of the world, six to eight people, live crammed in a one-room shanty or shack, somehow we have a right. I have a right to the husband I want and to live close to my mama. And I, I, Lord, these are my rights. God, and I'm going to protect those. Now, understand. Again, I refuse to disclaim this, but I will tell you the truth about it, and that's this, that if you then, Jesus said in Matthew seven eleven, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, or heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? The, the truth is, it's not, again, it's not about the house, it's about who owns whom, or what owns who. Does, does your stuff own you, or do you own your stuff? The truth is, neither! He owns it all. It's His. We're stewards. And He knows how to give good gifts. We've experienced this personally. Karen and I were walking and working with student ministry in Louisiana. And we, we did, I did, okay. I won't give you credit for that. I made some pretty crazy decisions. I mean, we, we lived in a student ministry house. And we, I, I mean, we were renting it. There was, there was no nonprofit. Our name was on the lease. And then I rented the house next to it and the house next to that. And we, we lived in an upstairs converted attic apartment with Isaac and Jacob on Fraternity Row. And the three houses we rented had 19 students in them. Well, there's a good plan for we haven't been married very long. You're amazing, by the way. You were a little mean back then, but you should have been a lot mean, <laughs> probably. And honestly, it got just to the point where we couldn't afford it. And I just felt like I had probably shipwrecked our family and our ability to buy a house and all those things forever. Back, and this was back in 1995. I'm going to give you the short version of this story. We moved here. I mean, after a period of that time, and God bless that, and ministry went well, and the finances eventually came under that. But, I mean, I stepped way beyond our resource in the beginning. It was, just, it was, it was insane, and God redeemed it all. Uh, out of just that seven-year period in student ministry, there were like 20 people who went into full-time student ministry. The very thing we thought would cause them never to want to do that somehow seemed to challenge them to take these crazy steps of faith and righteous risks, and God rewarded it all because God is God. And full of grace. But we moved here and we we just been renting houses. We just always rented. I mean, at that point, I don't know. Let's see. We had been married, what, 97? This is 18 years, something like that. It's now 2005. And 2004, we started talking about buying a house. I mean, we had a... We, had a, we were in a good situation financially. Karen had a very good job as a CPA. We were doing well, but, I mean... I just was, she was like, I don't know, we should ever do that. And I was acting like it was all good. I'm sure it'll work out. And, but in my heart, I was thinking, God, I don't know how long it takes, you know, for the kinds of uh, fiscal challenges that we had. I, I never even checked the credit report. I don't know that our credit was shipwrecked. I just refused to go see. I was just nervous and concerned. And there were times when I just believed that I had been a horrible husband and dad. And we hadn't bought a house or tried to buy a house. But so then we started. We started looking and 
Caleb Canals, who played the bass this morning, his dad was helping us look for a house, and so we were doing that. And we applied, and they pre-approved us for more than we ever thought that we should spend, and we didn't spend all of that, but we were blown away. I was like, okay, does pre-approved really mean that, that you're approved? I don't know how this works. I was still nervous. And again, to make the, the longer portion of this story short, just suffice to say that after about six months, there was one day that we were looking at and I mean, the, the kind of the climax of the difficulty that we had had in Louisiana financially was 1995. I mean, there was literally a story I tell here consistently. There was a night when, when we needed $3,000 by the next week to pay rent on these houses, and several students hadn't had the money to pay, and I didn't know how to... I didn't want to be a landlord. I was just trying to be a campus pastor, and I kind of stunk at that landlord part. So, And it was kind of... Um, one of those days, it was back in 95, and there was a place where literally, you've heard me share the story, where I said to Karen, you know, um, we need $3,000 right now. And we were just kind of in a bit of a panic. And at one point, and I was in a lot of trouble, and she didn't know about all that. And so now I've shared it with my wife, who is fiscally prudent, you know, and I feel like a complete moron. But at one point, I said, well, you know what? Here's the truth. Either there's no God and we're idiots for even being here. Or there is a God and we can trust him. This is about 3 in the morning. The, and we're upstairs in this coffee house. Downstairs students are having like a big old Jesus party. And I'm upstairs having a pity party. Two kinds of parties going on in the same house. And Karen somehow found some faith and grace in the middle of the panic. And she just sat straight up in bed and she said, of course there's a God. And I said, then we can trust him. Stands to reason. And we didn't have no check show up right then, but peace. We actually slept. Still couldn't pay the bills, though. Long and the short of that is that the next weekend I was speaking at a church I didn't even want to be at. And the guy was passing through on his way to Texas, stopped into, just because he felt like God said, go to church. Driving through, stopped in at this church, came up to see me afterward, and he said, son, that message ministered to me. Could I get your address? I'd like to send you a letter with my testimony next week. And he did, in fact, send me a letter with a testimony and a $3,000 check. It's a short version. Now, fast forward 10 years later, we're here in, we're in Blacksburg, and we're looking for a house. I kept looking for the house I wanted, but one day God said to me, this is not about you, this is about Karen. Find the house she wants. I was driving through a neighborhood over on the pilot side of Christiansburg, and Don and I pulled up in front of a house, and I heard God. I didn't need to hear him. I saw. I said, that's Karen's house. That's her house. They were out of our price range. We put in a couple of beds. We, they came down right to where we needed them to be. Miracle, miracle, miracle. We bought the house. I mean, we, we, one day I was filling out the HUD and all that kind of stuff, signing paperwork with Don, and I was driving back. I had a coffee service that night. I didn't plan to tell this story. You can see I'm struggling to fit it in. And as I was driving back, uh, Don had said, you know, this house is actually older than it looks. It looked brand new. I thought it was, I mean, I thought it was two years old. Don said, you know, this house is this house is 10 years old. I was like, you're kidding. He said, yeah, they had a lot of kids. They must have repainted everything. And I was driving back, and I just, I was like, God, is this really happening? Are we buying a house? I know that seems silly to a lot of you, but I have to tell you, it wasn't silly to me. Because we had put it out there. Not even very well. We'd taken some risks that probably weren't even God. And yet the faithfulness of God. And I, I heard God say, you don't get it, do you? What? The house is 10 years old. Do the math, Ron. Like, 
And I heard God say, in 1995, when you couldn't pay the bills and you were ruining your credit, I looked down from heaven. I said, okay, get Ron aboard. He needs some help. And start that house for Karen and Christian's birth. Ten years from now, she's going to need it. See, church, we don't need to be self-preservationists. God's got this. The truth is just that we need to treat what we have as a gift and not a right. We sold the house two years later. Not because we needed to sell it, but because God said move, and so we did. Because the house wasn't the point. We're renting again right now. And we could buy if we wanted to. We just, I don't know what we're doing. We just don't care. Honestly. But here's, and it's a nice house, by the way. A great place to live. The guy keeps trying to sell it to us. Maybe the other part of this self-preservation is this place where we feel like we have rights as this, that we would say, yeah, but I have unique gifts and talents. I mean, I can make a lot of money. I mean, I'm not like, you know, Ron, it may be easy for you to step into that. And maybe you'll start assessing my giftedness and things. See, but for me, man, I can make fat bank, dude. I'm uniquely gifted. And for that, I would say, great. Because here's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each of you has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, whoever speaks is to do as... So as one who is speaking the utterance of God, whoever serves to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have no right to our gifts and talents. They belong to God and they redeem in his kingdom. Romans twelve six through 8. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. We have lots of teachers here. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And that's a short list. Whatever gift you have, whatever gift you are, it redeems in the kingdom. causes me to ask this question. What would it look like? If all of us, and I'm throwing myself into this, I'm a work in progress for sure, and so are you, but what if all of us valued His voice in the sense that we were obedient in response to it? What would this look like? There's vision and ministry waiting to explode in the body of Christ and creativity. Can you see it? The crazy potential? Most of what we do is under the radar. I'm not talking about stuff you put on the big screen. Who cares about that? But if we walked in a place of obedience, I think about the Karen, Carolyn Aaron song from the 90s. Remember the song, Seize the Day, Carpe Diem? Remember that? She says, seize the day, seize whatever you can, because life slips away just like hourglass sand. Seize the day, pray for grace from God's hand. Nothing will stand in your way. Seize the day. 
I know a man, a fine young physician, left a six-figure job for a mission position. He's healing the sick in an African clinic. He works in the dirt and rides home to the cynics. He says we work through the night almost every day. As we watch the sun rise, we can say, seize the day. Then her last verse is, the one thing I've noticed wherever I've wondered, everyone's got a dream he can follow or squander. You can do what you will with the days you are given. I'm trying to spend mine on the business of heaven. Seize the day. So long, self. Number two, I'm going to finish. Not only do we tend to self-preserve, but I'm going to I'm going to reroute this. I think I used this word a second ago, but I should have saved it for here because we also tend to be. There's a difference here, but we tend to be self-protective, which is slightly different because we do have, these are not just rights that we declare for ourselves, but there are places where we have legitimate physical needs. That's true, too. Listen, we are stewards. Stewardship isn't just not spending God's money. It is investing our life resource in what God has going in his world, right? That's stewardship. But, but what about that place where God comes in with a dream or a vision and we, we just have legit physical needs, man. We got bills to pay and things to take care of, and that's true. And we have to be wise in that. We have to come under counsel and consider how we operate in that, right? And we can be very afraid. I mean, fear, we, we'll do a whole other teaching at some point on some of the different elements that keep us from obedience. But fear, suffice it to say, is a harsh Taskmaster, we're not talking about being selfish here. We're not talking about trying to hold something back or, or as it were in the scripture when Jesus said of the man who said, you know, man, I'm doing so well, I'll just big, build bigger storehouses. And Jesus said, you don't understand that this day your life will be right, called into account, will be required of you. It's not always that. Sometimes it is just, if I don't look out for me, who will? There's that concern. What about my retirement? What about all those things? I believe in retirement and all those things. So don't anybody throw anything at me right now. But if your question is who will take care of me and mine, I think I have an answer to that question. It's found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 31. I still believe obedience is the right answer in all things. Jesus said, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And I can't wait for that day. Because what we're going to see is what David saw when he saw the Holy Spirit standing behind Goliath. That's why he knew who was the underdog that day. Right? And if we could see the way God is taking care of us and looking out for us. Verse 27, what I tell you now in darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ears, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. You've heard me say that's a, that's compulsive. Christ is seriously OCD about you. So don't be afraid. 
you're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Matthew 6.33 says it well. And you see this in the lives of people in this church. I see people here who are walking in obedience and they're, Mitch, they're prospering. God's prospering, but it's who gets the glory and who gets the credit. And that belongs to, someone help me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, and his righteousness and all these things. We'll also decide for God if we have enough to do what he needs done. That's the other thing. We'll just decide, you know, that thing. When I get rich, then. When I get rich, then. How about when God says, then. Just whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. It is a grace word, I promise. We say this, because God asks us to do some things that are beyond our resource sometimes. Lots of times, okay? And many of you invest in helping make that happen. I appreciate that. We say this, I think I stole this from Jerry um, Shepherd. God's will, God's bill. <laughs> is that a BJism or a Shepherdism? I think it's Shep. Come on, BJ. Yeah. God's will. I mean, if it's God's will, it's God's will. One of the trips I took to Southern Africa, when I first started going, I was raising funds for that missionary support base, doing pretty well with that. Then the trips were starting to come more regularly. And I wasn't very diligent in letting people know what we were doing. I didn't necessarily have to ask for funds. I just try to let people know what we were doing, give opportunity to partner, and that would come. Carla, it was it was a good thing, but but then I kind of got a little lazy. And I had a credit card. I had an American Express Delta Sky Miles account. Maybe bring it down just a little, but keep playing. And I... So there was a couple of trips where even when I went, instead of praying about it or trusting the Lord for finances or letting the people who believed in what we were doing be a part of that, I just, man, I just swapped a credit card. Next thing you know, I got like $8,000 of debt just for going to Southern Africa, which is clearly not the will of God. God's not big on debt. God's will, God's bill. I had a trip coming up. I had already repented to Karen trying to pay that thing off. That was not fun. And I had a trip coming up. And I still didn't get around being diligent to raise that dough. It came time to go. I was speaking at a conference in Cape Town, and they had bought the ticket to get me there. I knew I had a place to stay with friends, but I had several other parts of the assignment that I didn't even have the money to book the in-country flights for. But I went anyway, because I knew I heard God say go. And he said, do not take a credit card. So I didn't. Karen thought I had plenty of money. I didn't. I just didn't inform her very well also not a great plan but i knew that if need be i'll just go stay in cape town speak at that conference and then the rest of the trip just wouldn't happen and this is the this is the truth i had a 20 dollar bill i flew over the ocean of south africa with a 20 dollar bill 20 i heard the lord say go and don't use a credit card i mean when i'm getting ready to leave to go get on the plane i'm taking that card out god this is crazy Never seen the righteous forsaken or beg for bread. Okay. Stop whispering. <laughs> Wait till I can't see you. My wife's over here telling stories. This is my story. 
got to Southern Africa. Man, just showed up, hit the ground running. God was showing up, doing great things. I was staying at someone's house. They wouldn't let me pay for anything the first three or four days. They never do. It was Sunday night. I got a phone call from a pastor friend in Arkansas. And he says, hey, it scared me because it was like three in the morning. It scared me. I was like, and this guy is a part of my family. So I was a little taken back. I thought something had happened to someone. And he said, hey, um, everything's okay back here. I was like, whew, you scared me, bro. He said, well, you know, you never sent out a letter or anything to raise funds for this trip. And he said, I felt like I heard the Lord say this morning that we should give the church a chance to invest in your trip. I was like, dude, that'd be awesome. And he said, well, to be honest, I forgot this morning. I got ready on Sunday morning. I was going to tell him, and I forgot. Sorry. I was like, oh, thanks for calling. He said, no, no, I decided I would do it uh, tonight, so Sunday night. And I was like, oh, sweet. He said, but to be honest, I forgot again. I said, you're killing me right now, Doug. You're killing me. He said, well, but after I had dismissed and probably half the crowd, and it's a relatively small church. He said, after half the crowd had left, I remembered, and I ran back up and grabbed the microphone, and I said, hey, Ron's in Southern Africa, and just wanted to say if anyone wants to invest in this trip, I think he could use it. And uh, he said, I just felt like I heard God say that. And uh, he said, so I have a check for you. And he said, I thought I would, I just felt like God really said you could use it while you're there. So I was going to deposit it in your bank account if you want to give that to me. I said, man, that's awesome. I appreciate that. I'll definitely do that. He said, yeah, I have a little under $10,000. We do have legit needs. Right now, man, we're just stepping in faith, right? Because we got, we got things that God needs to see done in the New River Valley. Man, we're asking as a church. We're stepping in faith. We're going to believe God is who God says he is and that his stuff is worth getting done and doing. And we're going to step. We're not going to be unwise or poor stewards, but we're, I'm not going to tell you that God isn't going to ask you to take a step of faith. A step of faith and obedience and the enemy will lie to us. And then number one, on the top five things about self that need to be surrendered. We tend to be very self-absorbed. I do think that's number one. I don't know if my order is accurate, but that's pretty close. We can be very self-absorbed. I mean, it just it's, it's again our human nature to be very narcissistic. Life can easily become all about me, even in ministry or whatever it can easily become that it just is about what is best for me what works for me and even just the busyness I and mean, we get real busy just busy and and relationships those are good and they're from god and they're a gift but they can be a, a entertainment i have direct tv i can just miss a lot of what god has to say because there's so much noise neediness We can be very distracted trying to fill a space that was made for God alone. Very self-absorbed. And we're trying to fill that space, that God gap. I've asked you before, what would it be like if the God gap in every human heart were filled by God? John 15, Jesus said it this way. Verse 1 through 5, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, even those branches he prunes 
so it can bear more fruit. Prune us, Papa. There's some necessary endings in our lives just to make the space that God needs, that we need for God to have in us. You're already, he said, clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. This isn't about being saved. You're clean, okay? Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Pretty clear. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. One thing I can say for certain is that the branch always does what the vine says to do. Whatever the vine sends down the branch, man. That's the fruit it bears. That's the way it grows. This matters, church. This issue of obedience, it matters. Our hearing God and doing what God says do. And if it matters what we do, then what we do matters. The choices we make are impactful in the world. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Again, what would it be like if all of us here were consistently obedient to his voice? If the purposes of God consistently came true in you and me, what kind of church would this be? I know this, God would get tons of glory. Wouldn't he? And the world would never be the same. I appreciate the steps of faith people are taking right now. Toward healing. Those are just steps of faith. Those are just brothers hearing God. Those are just sisters saying, okay, I heard that. I think I'll act on that. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. I'm really going to stop talking. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I was in there too. Amen. God, thank you for today. I thank you for the grace, God. Just step and stand into a word I've never communicated before and for the patience of this people to to hear it. And Lord, I pray they just show me mercy where I might have said something that's off point, God, just grace and mercy. God, but that we would take what you say is so in this word, God, and we would apply it without restriction or inhibition to our lives. And God, that ourselves wouldn't keep us from what you've got for us. God, that we would just... Uh, we would be obedient in the truest sense of the word. That we would value your voice. And God, I come against the lie of the enemy that have depreciated the value of each of those that are here, God. If there is a place where someone's believed a lie or an accusation of the enemy, God. Lord, I pray we just repent of that. Uh, and that our hope and our faith would be in you, God. Because that's where our help comes from. That's where the grace to go and to give and to live comes from God, is from you. So let us believe what you say to us about us. God, let us remember. Let us not be like Saul. Let us not be at least like Gideon in the beginning, but maybe like Gideon in the end, God, where he did believe, where he did step, where he did stand. 
Maybe not the Ron that walked around the campus and asked the questions, but maybe God let me be the Ron that stayed anyway. Who somehow found the grace to believe in faith. That if you say it, it's so. Give us that grace today. To believe that the things you speak to us, the promises that you make, the dreams and the destinies that you speak to us and over us, God, are meant to come true. God, that we would risk it all. God, that we would risk it all for you, Lord. For your word and for your will, God. That we wouldn't hold anything back from you. That we would trust you in faith. That we would walk in wisdom, sure. But that the greatest wisdom is to trust in a God who never fails. And who redeems everything. That we would step and stand into obedience as a body of believers. In Jesus' name I pray. There were a few words this week in relationship to some physical ailments. And if any of these apply to you, I'm going to ask some of the ministry team to go ahead and come up here really quickly. I'm a little long this morning and I appreciate your patience. If I could get some people who will pray for people to be healed, some elders and ministry team. And then maybe if I could just get a few others of the Sunday morning ministry team just to be here in case some people want prayer for other things. I'm going to cut you guys loose in just a second. Let me point out some words of knowledge. One was if someone was having a problem with maybe an appendix. Uh, Another was peripheral neuropathy which is a neurological condition that sometimes this one was specific to the feet. If someone's been having some issues with your feet or some pain under the right eye, or um, this was specific for the first service. Those others may apply to someone in the second service. But if there was someone who's here who's really struggling with um, back pain, no specificity on lower or upper, just back pain. And if you're struggling with back pain and you'd like someone to pray for you this morning, these guys over here will... um, We believe what the scripture says that says you should call for the elders of the church and they shall pray for the sick and they shall recover. It's in the Bible. Let's believe it. Still need healing every day. And I won't stop believing. And if I have anything to say about it, neither will you. Yay, Jesus. So if any of those apply to you, you need healing, if there's something that wasn't on that list, that's fine. And then I'm just going to ask you this. If you'd say, man, there's just a, there's a word I need to stand on and believe. God has spoken something to me directionally, and I just haven't stood into that. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you, in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss this crowd and crew, but if that's you, I'm going to ask you to come this way and find someone with whom to pray. And then the second one was just this. There were two ways that God asked for us to respond this morning. And Brandon, would you come and share that word you heard? I think it applies right here. Then I'm going to continue this response. But share that because the newness is important right now. Uh, Well, um, I was just thinking about and just just heard this place of uh, newness and and, um, an opportunity of kind of just to be refreshed. Um, Just maybe like it's been a long week or a long month or a long day or a long morning and just an opportunity to be refreshed. And the thing I kept thinking about was, um, well, and, you know, somebody came up and was telling me that pretty much the same thing that I was, that I was here in, which is a place of refreshing and newness. And um, almost immediately I started thinking about Krispy Kreme. 
um, and just donuts. I, can, I, I was thinking about it so much, I can almost smell it and I can almost taste it. What I was thinking is that, is that when I'm driving down the road and I see that Krispy Kreme night and that, that light's on, that means something's fresh and it's brand new. Um, and you know, they're the be- and things are the best when they're fresh. Um, and then right after I started thinking about that, I almost you could j- just see the Lord turn on the Krispy Kreme light. There's just an opportunity for freshness and hotness. Um, just, just, and I know that's kind of funny to be like a Krispy Kreme, you know, relevancy, but, but there's just a thing that, that, that when you see that sign, you know what's going on. And there's just an opportunity for something that just, an, an opportunity for refreshing. Um, and it's almost like he pulled the switch. He was just like, hey, I want to refresh my kids today. Um, that, that I just want to yeah. love on you in a way that you can, you know, just be refreshed. That, that, you know, the, 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 the months, the weeks, the days, the hours. I mean, I had a long week. I had to get refreshed. Um, and, and, but the thing is, I had to step out and ask to be refreshed. Um, so, yeah. I'll say it's like um, I've been driving through the bush before. It's a true story. We had 19 kids camping in the bush in western Zambia. And I was driving down the craziest bush road and I smelled fresh, fresh baked bread. That's a true story. And I came, there was a lady sitting on the side of the road with a bucket full of fresh, fresh I can't even say it. Easy for you to say. I just speak it this way. I think that God wants to bring newness to the vision and the dream that's in you too. When Brandon shared that earlier, I said, man, that's the response time. I just I speak this, the grace to go again. Take another run at it. You fall down, what do you do? You get up. Take another run at it. Some of you have been you've been knocked down a bit, right, in your journey. Get up and go again. Believe God for what God's got for you, even just right here in this season. Obedience is a now thing. It's a now thing. It's, it's the right now what God's speaking to you. It may be to, to step away from something that's created a busyness in you so you can draw near to Him. It, 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 it's, it's not always an activity that is about doing something for someone. It is about being obedient to the voice of God. And maybe you've tried that before and feel like you failed. And today God's saying, hey, there's something new for you. There's some there's new grace. What does the word say? Come on. His mercies. Fresh baked today. So that second thing that I almost mentioned but didn't was this that you would just say, you know what? I don't know exactly what it is that God might want to ask me to be or do. But I just feel like today I want to pray that God would speak that to me. That God would hear me saying before the question is asked, yes. God, I want to hear you. I want to, I will, I want to value your voice. I want to hear you speak destiny to me today. If that's you. If that's just the prayer you would pray. God, this is the direction. I'm just ready, God. I'm ready for direction. I kind of pulled myself out. But Lord, I'm putting myself back in. Count me in the wheeling pool. The place where there's grace to say, God, whatever. Okay, count me in, Lord. Give me the grace to be and do the thing that's destined for me today. And if that's you. So one was maybe there's just a bit of a dream deferred or something you've been holding back because one of those issues with self was just like uh, an insurmountable obstacle. So there's a place for you to pray today. And the other one was just saying, hey, God, count me in. I don't know what that means, but here I come in Jesus name. So, Lord, grace those responses. God, I'm going to cut this crew loose, but Lord, I pray that that doesn't cause us not to respond where we need to. So Lord, I don't like doing it that way. You know that. But God, I want to honor our child care workers and the people who persist in serving and bless them, Lord. 
But God, I pray you draw our hearts. Even if we respond as we go, God, I pray you call our hearts to you. Because I know, God, this isn't a word for somebody. This is a word for everybody. A word about obedience and believing in you. And what you say to us. So God, even as we go, God, grace is for obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.